This morning we return to our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. Our passage today is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'm going to be focusing on verses 1 through 19 this morning. That's found on page 960 in the Bibles that are provided for you in the rows. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have been in 1 Corinthians for some time now, and where we find ourselves now is Paul is addressing uh, a a variety of issues that existed in the church. Uh, Most uh, recently, the abuse of how the spiritual gifts were being practiced in the church. Instead of building the church up, it was leading to division, uh, which is why Paul inserts uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, in between two chapters that deal with spiritual gifts. These things are all related, and he takes them in chapter 13 to remind them of uh, no matter what gifting they felt they had from the Spirit, the importance of them, they're loving one another well in the church. And so it's with that backdrop that we enter into chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct other than 10,000 words. In a tongue. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word, your inspired, inerrant word, given to your church for our good and for our growth, given in fullness. There will never be another word added to our Bibles. So help us, Lord, as we read and study and are exhorted by the words of the Apostle Paul to 
pursue a greater love for one another and to have a, 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 a healthy understanding of, of, of the purpose of your gifts of the Spirit. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to grow in how we care for one another. Help us to grow in our willingness to forbear with one another on the issues that we disagree. Lord, help us to be united in a way that can only be explained by our love for you, I pray. Help me to speak clearly. Help my dear brothers and sisters to listen with a hunger and a thirst to know you. Lord, I pray that the fruit of this message would be eternal for our good and for your glory. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. If you follow the outlines and the bulletins, uh, you know that there are four points there, but uh, I'm, I'm cheating this morning. Point one is actually part of my introduction. We have gone over time and time again uh, over the past several months all the different problems that were going on in Corinth. So, so these are things about which you are not unaware, so I'm not going to go into great detail other than to remind you that Paul is writing to a divided church. That is the problem. But, but the problem that existed in Corinth is not a problem that is non-existent in the church today as well. And so it's important that we keep that in mind. Now, as I've worked through the book of 1 Corinthians, specifically chapters 12 through 14, I imagine that, that in the context of, of, of the church, of this church, there have been a variety of internal reactions to the treatment of these verses. Perhaps some who hold to more continuationist or charismatic practices have felt that I have been uncharitable as it relates to certain spiritual gifts. While those who hold to cessationist teachings may not think that I've said enough about spiritual gifts. The truth of the matter is that while I am aware of my audience, I have had a greater accountability that has been at the forefront of my mind. And that is actually to stay true to what the Apostle Paul has written. It's important that we understand what he's writing about, what the problem was, and, and what the solution is. It does not help you all for me to inject my theology into a text if it's not the theology that Paul is addressing in that text. And so as we work through these verses, a, a word to, to everyone, no matter where you may fit on this uh, charismatic versus uh, cessationist scale, to understand that we want to deal with what the passage is saying and allow our beliefs to be shaped by the passage. Now you may hold to a view and the basis of that view is, is found in another passage of scripture and that's important and that matters. It's certainly true for me and I'm sure for each one of us. But the reality is it's not helpful if I'm injecting it into a passage that does not address that issue. So, so, so listen well this morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, I've had a lot of people come up and say very encouraging things as we've worked through 1 Corinthians, and I praise God for that, and I'm certainly not saying this to ask for more. Um, and people are letting me know they're praying because, believe it or not, churches have divided over 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. Interestingly enough, a section of Scripture that deals with the need for unity in the church. That's not what we want. That's certainly not what we need. We need what Paul intends, that we will be united in love. So the problem that existed in Corinth was a problem of what? Of division. Paul's message to the Corinthians must be our priority. 
Okay, and so as I've addressed certain issues, if it seemed like I've been hard on a certain gift or a certain viewpoint, I'm only seeking to be as hard as the Apostle Paul is in this passage. Paul writes to address the problems that existed in Corinth. And the problems in, in chapters 12 through 14 was, was the expression of certain spiritual gifts in the worship services in the church at Corinth. Remember, we, we saw in chapter 12 that, that the purpose of spiritual gifts is for the building up of the church, for the good of the members of the body of Christ. We, we, we've seen throughout our study of 1 Corinthians that, that, that the church in Corinth was divided over many issues. In some cases, they, they were divided over issues of actual sin. They, there were some in the church that were approving of an immoral relationship that existed in the church. That's a, a sinful issue that, that, that people were affirming. In other cases, the, the, the division was actually over things that were good gifts from God. The divisions that existed over which teacher they followed. Sound teaching is a gift from God. They had perverted that. They were divided in their practice of the Lord's Supper, another good gift from God. And so Paul, in this first letter to the Corinthians, is addressing all these issues. Certainly sin was involved in the division over the good things, but the things they were dividing over were not sinful in and of themselves. The problem is, is that our sin can even cause God's good gifts to become a stumbling block for ourselves or for others. And Paul writes to address these issues. In chapter 13, Paul laid out clearly that, that regarding this issue of spiritual gifts, that there was something else other than the gifts that the church should have been focused on. And here again in verse 1, he, he reminds the Corinthians and he reminds us that our great pursuit in the church is not of greater spiritual experiences or giftedness, but what we should prioritize is, is the one thing that we have in control that we are in control of, and that is how we love one another. So let's move to verse one and, and consider our pursuit, uh, our, our priority as the body of Christ. Verse one, Paul writes, "Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy." Now Paul calls the church to pursue love in the midst of their obsession with the spiritual gifts. Specifically, it seems that there were two of the more public gifts that were causing problems in Corinth. Prophecy and speaking in tongues. And before we delve into these gifts and their function within the church, we cannot, remiss, we cannot miss a distinction that Paul makes in verse 1. He calls the church, and, and also us as well, to pursue love in the church. The, the Greek word that's translated pursue is dioko, which means to strive or to, to press forward with the goal of overtaking something. It, it communicates both diligence in our effort, but also a priority in our purpose. Pursue love in your relationships within the church. In our study of, uh, of chapter 13, I, I pointed out that genuine love for one another in the church is one of the things that makes us or should make us distinct from the world. If we look around, uh, even in this congregation where we all are, uh, most of us are of similar skin color, there is a, 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 a lot of diversity in the context of our backgrounds and upbringings and, and station in life. And it would be easy and, and even natural in the sinful sense for us to gravitate towards those who may be more like us. In the church, that must not be the case. Our love for, for, for someone of, who, who holds to a different 
political party in the context of the body of Christ must be just as strong as it is for the person that we get along with. Our love for this person who has the, 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 the same view of the spiritual gifts that we do must be just as strong for the person in the church who holds to a different view. This is a type of love, truly, that can only be cultivated by God's help. The Paul says, pursue love. How, how would our relationships within the church change, brothers and sisters, if, if we were to pursue love, prioritize love in our relationships with one another? Well, the great news is we don't have to wonder. <laughs> but I'll tell you again from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses 4 through 7, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now listen, I, I say this with, with great joy and praise to God. I, I would say that, that outwardly, this is going on around here a lot, and I praise God for that. But we should seek to excel even more in our care for one another. Why? Well, according to the Apostle, or the Apostle Paul, because unlike the, 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 the spiritual gifts that we possess or, or may possess, love is something that we are called to cultivate and act on. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, simply stated, the spiritual gifts are by definition what? They're gifts from God. We, we learned in chapter 12 that, 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 that there are varieties of gifts, but they come from the same spirit. There are varieties of ways that we serve, but it's the same Lord. There are varieties of activities that we do, but it's the same God who empowers them all and every, everything. It's a picture of diversity. Chapter 12, verse 7, Paul continues, says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good of the church, whether it be the public gifts or the private gifts, these exist for the good of the body of Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 12, Paul writes that all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to, it, to each person individually as he wills. Now why am I pointing this back to chapter 12? Because we understand that, that, that God gives his gifts, the, the, the spiritual manifestations of the Spirit, not based on the fact that we deserve them, or that we've earned them, but it's according to his will and what's best for the church. The Corinthians were obsessed with the gifts. Paul says, no, there, there's something that you have control over, and I want you to prioritize that. You can control how you love one another. You cannot control whether you have the gift of prophecy or, or, or the ability to speak in tongues or even the gift of administration or wisdom or mercy. So Paul's point is clear. Corinthians... New hope that there's something we can be doing. And that's loving one another well. He, he actually comes back to this later, but, but we must keep that in mind. The, the Holy Spirit is, is the source of your giftedness. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who, who gifts individually as he wills. But love, although it's also a gift from God, we're called to cultivate that because it's a gift that we all possess. Love is an aspect of our lives that's under our control. The, the Spirit is still at work, but love is what we have in common. 
On the flip side, we, we, we need to remember that, that no matter what gifts we possess, we did absolutely nothing to earn them or deserve them. It's completely a work of the Holy Spirit. All the gifts are good. And desiring them is something that, that Paul frees the church to, 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 to do. It's okay to want these things. But we can do nothing more than desire them and be thankful for how God has chosen to gift us. Love you can do, but, 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 but you can't give yourself a spiritual gift any more than, than you can take flight by flapping your arms and cooing like a pigeon. That, that, that's not how it works. And, and Paul draws this line, and he does so because he's about to, to present a very powerful principle as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit. Look at verses 2 through 11. I'm going to read verse 1 for the sake of context, and I'm going to allude to it. Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know what the meaning of the lang- if, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. And I read one, verse one again because. Paul, again, is drawing that distinction between the two gifts that were causing divisions within the church, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And before we delve into the specifics, I want to highlight the principle that Paul is laying out here because it really should be at the forefront of our minds as we work through these verses and the gifts, how they were exercised in Corinth. And the principle is simple. Prophecy was to be viewed as a greater gift than speaking in tongues because prophecy served to build up the entire church in the context of the worship service. A simplified way to to consider this principle is this. It must be our priority in the context of the church to focus on and emphasize those things which build up the body. Now, that is in conflict with our fleshly desires, is it not? Our desire is our experience. Whether we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit or whether we're talking about our preferences in the context of worship, we tend to come at things from how it affects us. But the principle that Paul is setting forth for the Corinthians and for the church in general is that our love for one another should so affect the way that we come into worship that we are as concerned that that our brothers and sisters are able to worship God well as we are for ourselves. Uh, So that's the principle Now, Paul fleshes this out clearly in these verses and even gives some helpful illustrations in making his point. Prophecy served a greater purpose in the church because these were were revelations from God that were communicated in a language that each each person understood. It was their native tongue. They all spoke Greek. But those who spoke in tongues and languages that were unknown to the speaker 
And in the case of the church service, which consisted of, of all people who spoke the same language, the, 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 the message of tongues was foreign to them as well. Paul, Paul says, listen, this does not benefit the church, this tongue speaking, unless there is someone who can translate. Now, we're going to address some of the different views on tongues in just a moment, but, but I want to be clear on the principle because no matter where we stand in our estimation of whether certain gifts have ceased or continued, we cannot argue, I think, honestly, with the greater point that Paul is making here. It's clear why Paul elevates one over the other. And that's based on the gift's value to the church as a whole. Now, we should all be able to agree on that given the context. And this really is an important principle because in some ways we're not that different than the Corinthians. I mentioned before, we want to be swept up in our experience of God whether it be an emotion or an expression of a, of a spiritual gift. And, and that's not wrong to, to desire those things, but the point is we're not to desire those things more than we are to desire the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's important how we worship as a church. In verses 2 through 5, Paul explains the principle of the superiority of prophecy in the church's worship. And then in verses 6 through 11, he illustrates it. So let's look at verses 2 and 5, Paul's explanation of the superiority of prophecy in the worship service. Paul writes, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But, but, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, the question must be asked, what, what does Paul mean by speaking in tongues? Is he only referring to, to human languages that are unknown to the speaker, like we see in, in the book of Acts, specifically at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Or is there another type of speaking in tongues? Is there such thing as a, as a prayer language, as some have referred to it, which isn't an actual human language, but a, but, but a deep expression of, uh, of a person's inner longings and struggles with God. Now, there have been a lot of debate on this issue, and, and Paul honestly doesn't expressly give us an answer in 1 Corinthians 14. So, so charity must be exercised. But, but there is another issue that, that is more clearly spelled out in Acts chapter 14 that, that does help us better understand the nature of the speaking in tongues that, that Paul writes about in Scripture. In, in some circles, the, the speaking in tongues is considered an ecstatic gift. And what I mean by that is that Speaking in tongues is something that happens when, when, when a person is in such a state of, of ecstasy or worship that they're not aware of what they're doing. That's what ecstatic means. They're, they're, they're so swept up. And, and so I think the question that, that Paul deals with or, or answers more clearly than, than what type of tongues he's talking about is what is the mindset of the person who is speaking in tongues? That we see addressed clearly as we work through this passage, and, and it's important for us to understand why this matters. Now, we will see as we work through this passage that, that, that as Paul gives his prescription for healing, that, that Paul did not treat the gift of speaking in tongues as an ecstatic gift. In this section of, of, of 1 Corinthians, but also later of chapter 14, as, as Paul continues, he treats the, the gift of tongues as something 
that the speaker in tongues actually was in control of. This means that although they were speaking a language they did not know that was gifted by the Spirit of God, that they were aware that they were doing it even though they didn't know what they were saying. Now that's a different frame of mind than, than someone who's rubbed, swept up in what they would call a, you know, an ecstatic fervor that they're not aware of what's happening. And it's clear, as Paul gives his prescription, that as he writes about tongues, he, he's writing about someone who is aware. Can you see that? Can you see why that's important? Well, well maybe this will help even more. As an aspect of the temple worship, pagan temple worship in Corinth, one aspect of the, the worship would, would be for the worshipers of the pagan deities to, to, to work themselves up into such a religious fervor that they began to, to, to murmur and make noises as a sign of their ecstasy in worship. And so what Paul is doing here is he's drawing a, a clear line in the sand. He, he's, he, he's affirming the reality of tongues and whatever that expression looked like as a gifting of the Spirit, that that's contrasted with what they were used to. And we've already established in our study of Corinthians what were the Corinthians often doing. They were trying to, to drag aspects of who they once were into who they now were in Christ. And so this is an important line that Paul draws. These expressions, these gifts are, are, are gifts that the receiver is aware of. And so that's a... That's an important part of Paul's thrust here. The nature of those tongues, I, I, I'm not in a position to be able to answer from 1 Corinthians 14 as to whether or not it's more than unknown human languages. But there's a very distinct line drawn between whether it was a, someone having a, an out-of-mind experience versus someone aware that the gift was taking place. That fits in with his statement on orderly worship later in chapter 14. Now, I, I hope that, that that rabbit trail was at least somewhat helpful toward, for you. The, the, the language of tongues communicates something. The tongues of the pagans was gibberish. And Paul's instructions throughout 14 reveals that the true gift of the spirit of speaking in tongues is vastly different than what took place in the pagan temple. But Paul elevates prophecy because, because of its purpose. The, the purpose of prophecy was to, to build up, to encourage and, and console those in the church. It was a public Ministry and it was understandable. Prophecy served to, to strengthen the church by allowing them to, to hear from God. While tongues focused on focused people's attention on the one who was speaking in tongues because, well, if someone began to speak in tongues in this context without someone to interpret, what would we do? Our, our eyes would be drawn to who? The person who was speaking. Paul says, no, prophecy directs you to God and who you are in light of who God is. So it matters. It's, it's a greater gift in the context of the worship service because of the purpose that it fulfills. Paul goes on to say, in fact, if, if tongues are to be any kind of benefit to the church as a whole, another gift must be present, and that's the gift of interpretation. Now, this isn't to say that, that there were not benefits for those who spoke in tongues. Paul speaks very favorably of the gift, but, but his point in chapter 14 is to direct the attention of the Corinthians away from themselves. In, in, in verses 2 through 6, Paul explained the principle, and here in verses 7 through 12, he illustrates the principle. 6 through 12, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, 
Who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now Paul begins his illustration personally. He says, if I come to you, so, so if, if the apostle shows up, even the apostle shows up speaking in tongues, even in that case, the church will not grow unless he also gives them some form of understandable speech. It's a rhetorical question. How, 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 how can I benefit you? I can't unless, unless there's something you can understand. They might be in awe of what took place and, and, and feel like they had a, a spiritual moment, but there would have been nothing uttered from his mouth that, that would have caused them to understand anything about God and what he expected of them. Paul then moves on to illustrate his principle in verses 7 and 8 by using the example of musical instruments. Whether it be instruments designed for worship and song, the flute or the harp, or or instruments designed to call troops to battle, the bugle, the person playing the instrument must play actual notes for music to be created. Now, if I passed out blindfolds this morning and instructed you all to put them on and you actually did it, you would not be able to to see to tell the difference if Holly Smith came up and played the piano versus one of the children who like to come up after the service and play the musical instruments. You, you, you don't need the, the gift of sight to understand and, and recognize songs when there's someone who is skilled in stringing the notes together in a way that is consistent with, with, with how the composer wrote the song. Beautiful things happen when there are skilled people playing the piano. Now, it's, it's, it's awful cute when the kids are up here pressing the keys, but it's not the same. It's not music. That's a point that we can understand, right? It takes skill. Paul's point is clear. Tongues, apart from any form of interpretation, it's just like a a, a child banging on the piano in terms of the edification of the rest of the church. Paul then applies this to the church in Corinth, verse 9. He says, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Again, Paul is not belittling the gift of tongues, but he's showing its ineffectiveness at building up the church, and that's the whole point of this section. Verses 10 and 11 seem to indicate that Paul is referencing human language in contrast to pagan gibberish. But even if that's not the case, the principle is unchanging. For a tongue to benefit the body, it must be understood. Now most of us uh, have been in the position of having people speak in another foreign language around us while we're present. Perhaps when Winnie and Fareed were here, you were, you were, you were privy to some of their exchanges as, as they spoke in Indonesian to one another. Two of my closest friends from college, they they were brothers, American brothers, but they they actually grew up in China. And as a result, they they both were fluent in speaking one of the Chinese dialects. And from time to time, they would invite me to go to church with them, and they liked to go worship at at the Chinese church. And so I would go. Lovely place, lovely people. But the entire service was in Mandarin. Now, I know three words in Chinese, and none of them are what you would use in worship services. 
They aren't bad words, they just aren't worship words. I understood none of the service. Verse 11 was true of me. I was a, a foreigner to the speaker, and the speakers, singers, members were all foreigners to me as well. I'm sure the pastor was amazing. There was a, a, a great group there, and they all had the Bibles open, and they were engaged, and, and he was going to town. I recognized some of the tunes that, that were being sung, but I gained nothing in terms of my own spiritual growth and edification from what was said in the context of those services. For obvious reasons. I did not understand because of the language barrier. That's Paul's point. God's truth is meant to be understood. Verse 12, Paul begins his prescription for healing within the church. Verses 12 through 19. Paul continues, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? If I pray with my spirit, I, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing, with my, sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now Paul's prescription continues, we'll see, throughout the rest of the chapter. He's not done with these few verses, but I really wanted to stick with my trend of using a P at every point in the outline. So we jam prescription in there. But, but verse 12 is, is key in understanding Paul's emphasis for the entire chapter. Remember, the, the chapter begins with an exhortation for the church to pursue love. And then he makes the case that the gift of prophecy is greater than the gift of tongues uh, without interpretation because prophecy builds up the entire church. Tongues without interpretation are simply noise to everyone else but the speaker. The, the Corinthians, brothers and sisters, were, were not only ignorant when it came to, 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 the, to the spiritual gifts, but they were also obsessed about them for all the wrong reasons. And in verse 12, Paul says, listen, if you are so eager to, to focus or, or to experience the spiritual gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit, then you really ought to focus on building one another up. That's the purpose of the gifts, after all. Remember chapter 12? The command to strive to excel in building up the church is not a command for them to somehow manufacture or create the spiritual gifts on their own. It's a refocusing of their priorities. Remember, the purpose of all gifts is for the good of the church. Rather than obsessing over who had what gift, Paul is calling the Corinthians to, to focus their efforts on serving and edifying one another with whatever gift the Spirit supplies. Those who prophesied and those who spoke in tongues were, were not any more spiritually mature than those who administered or showed mercy in the church. In verses 13 through 19, Paul's prescription for healing centers on a healthy understanding of the, of the purpose of tongues in the life of the church. Now, we've already considered the importance of interpretation as it relates to the building up of the church, so I'll just focus primarily on Paul's words in verses 14 through 17. I think as we look at these verses, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is what does Paul mean by the phrase, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful? Because he then goes on to describe praying, praising, giving thanks with both the spirit and the mind. Now, some have said this is, this is actually evidence of the ecstasy that I was referencing early, but, earlier, but if you read it in context, you see that's not what Paul's saying at all. He's simply drawing a, a contrast between 
the gift taking place in an expression of, of speaking in tongues that, that even the speaker didn't know what he was saying. So Paul said, listen, if you are in this act of, uh, of this expression of the Spirit, it's important that you also engage your mind. It's clear the mind is involved because later he's going to say, don't do it unless someone can interpret. So, so there's an aspect of control. There, there's an aspect of understanding that it's taking place. The Paul says, listen, if you're experiencing this expression of, of the Spirit, understand, Corinthians, that you can still engage your mind. You can still praise God. You're not on autopilot. And so if you're praying, don't forget to engage your mind. If you're praising, don't forget to engage your mind. If you're singing, giving thanks, don't forget to engage your mind. This is the context of the worship service. And the call is to engage in expressions of worship that are understandable for the church as a whole. Now, one thing that I haven't addressed, but, I, but hopefully is obvious to you as we work through this passage, is that Paul is placing a premium on the role of corporate worship, what we're doing right now, in the context of the lives of, of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. Healing comes as our focus moves from ourselves to those things that builds one another up. Paul illustrates this in verses 18 and 19. He spoke in tongues. Clearly it was something that was a blessing to him. But when it came to the church, the corporate meeting, his desire was to speak and teach in a way that would be understood by all. Now because of the time, I've got to, to begin to wrap things up. But understand, Paul's not done yet. We're going to finish the chapter, Lord willing, next week and, and perhaps even come back to it briefly the following week as well because it's important that we understand this, brothers and sisters. We in this day and age that wants to seek whatever our theological background may be to elevate certain people in our estimation as being far and above more spiritual than everyone else, that's not how the Bible describes the body of Christ. The pastor or teacher should have a measure of spiritual maturity and, and God should have made it clear that that person has, has the ability, the gift, if you will, to, to teach and preach, but that does not make the person in the position of teaching and preaching in the church more valuable than the person who is showing mercy behind the scenes. And, and we don't come to worship an individual, but we come corporately to build one another up as we worship the one who is truly worthy of worship. The expression of the gifts in Corinth served to divide the church. And, and Paul says, in light of our call to love one another as followers of Christ, that is inconsistent with who you are as Christians. Now, to my knowledge, we don't have an expression of the gifts problem that is elevating some people above others. But that does not mean that the principles that we see here do not apply to us here and now. Our love and care for one another must be such that it matters that the person sitting next to you is able to worship God well. That we know one another well enough that we can come alongside before the service or, or, or sit with our, our struggling brother or sister during the service and, and put an arm around them or, 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 or hold their hand as you praise God together, reminding them that yes, you're going through a dark time, but I love you. You're not alone in this. It shows a, a, a willingness to, to, to forego things that, that may cause someone around you to stumble. Because our concern is, is worshiping God as a group in a way that reflects His greatness. It's also important that we have a healthy understanding of spiritual gifts 
in the context of the church, particularly as it relates to to speaking in tongues. We need to to keep in mind that gifts like that are are not a, a sign or requirement for salvation. It's simply not consistent with the teaching of Scripture. In fact, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he writes to Corinthians as if they are believers, and many of whom are not experiencing that gift. That's why he says, I wish you all could experience it. So it's not a requirement for salvation. It's, it's not a sign that, that, that someone is closer to God than someone who is not. But it's also not a sign that someone's crazy either. We should desire to experience deep intimacy with the Lord. But we should also prioritize the spiritual good of one another. And this is something that goes beyond the gifts. They were simply the source of controversy in the church. It should affect our attitude about the service. It should affect our preferences, how we express them. And honestly, brothers and sisters, it should lead us to repentance and a greater dependence on the Lord as we recognize the many ways that we fall short. It's a call to love one another. And I want to give you three practical ways that we can better love one another and be unified here at New Hope. I alluded to this earlier. First of all, we must commit to pray for one another regularly. Not just the the sick list, but praying for one another's spiritual growth and joy in the Lord. It's an expression of our dependence upon God, and it also serves as a catalyst for a greater love for one another. Plain and simple, we must be a church who prays for one another. Secondly, we must repent when evidence of a lack of love shows itself in our lives. It's not just a bad feeling towards someone else. Sometimes it's mistrust. Sometimes it's apathy. Sometimes it's a preoccupation with our own desires. These are all evidence of of a lack of love towards others. And, And when we recognize that in our lives, we need to repent. We need to turn away, to seek God's forgiveness. And we need to actively, as Paul writes, verse 1, pursue love. And finally, in that pursuit of love, we we must pursue opportunities to act lovingly on behalf of our church family. We need to be faithful in giving words of encouragement. We need to forego our own preferences. We need to look for opportunities to provide kind gestures, to, to, to pray with them to even lovingly confront one another when needed. These are all ways in which love builds the church. Now I know that there's much more that can be said, there's much more that will be said, likely there are many questions that are yet unanswered, but I believe these things will be covered as we move forward in chapter 14 next week, so let us pray together. Lord, I want to pray first of all for my brothers and sisters who uh, may be struggling with with, with something that was said this morning. I I pray for clarity and charity within them, Lord. Lord, help us all to be mindful.